Good morning. morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9. We're in a series of sermons on either hot topics or misunderstood texts. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. We thank you for the opportunity that is ours to mine your word that we may know what to think, how to live, how to honor you. Allow our time, Father, to be profitable, pleasing to you, and glorifying to your name. Allow me to say what is true and prevent me from saying what is not. Or if I say things that are incorrect, give us the wisdom to ignore those. Father, uh, thank you for your word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Today we're going to talk about a topic that in America probably is bad manners. We don't generally talk about the topic of death. But that's exactly what I want to talk about this morning. I think that's what the Bible would have us look at is that topic of death. And sometimes, even as Christ followers, I think we're a bit casual with our language. We rightly talk about eternal life. And sometimes we talk about eternal life as though some have it and some do not. That's not accurate. The Bible is very clear that all 7 billion people have eternal life. But some have eternal life in heaven, having placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And some have eternal life separated from God in a literal place called hell that will last forever. It is eternal for all. It's eternal life or eternal death, whichever you would like to call it. As I thought about this topic of death, I thought about some tombstones that are around the world, I'd like to read a few epitaphs to us. We have a guy named Ezekiel in Nova Scotia. It says, here lies Ezekiel, age 103. Only the good die young. Maybe Zeke was on the naughty list. I don't know. From a cemetery in New Mexico, we read these words. Here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. That's pretty clever. This is actually written by a widow in a Vermont tombstone. Sacred to the memory of my husband, John, who died January 3, 1803. His attractive young widow has many qualities of a good wife and yearns to be comforted. That's tacky. It's like a 19th century dating app. That's really tacky. An English lawyer's epitaph, Sir John Strange. Here lies an honest lawyer, and that is indeed strange. All my lawyer friends, including a few of you out there, I know you're honest. I'm reporting, I'm not creating. In a Georgia cemetery, I told you that I was sick. (laughs) She probably was. 
in Hartscombe, England, in a cemetery, on the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. It's not bad. Someone in Winslow, Maine, didn't like Mr. Wood. In memory of Beza Wood, departed this life November 2, 1837, age 45. Here lies one wood enclosed in wood, one wood within the other. The outer wood is very good. We will not praise the other. <laughs> and finally, in Nantucket, Massachusetts, 1880, under the sod and under the trees lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He is not here. There's only the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. Now, if Pease knows Christ, that is theologically accurate. His body remained in the earth, and his soul spirit went into the very presence of the Lord. And that's the passage we have today. I want to pick up and read from 2 Corinthians 5. I want to read verses 1 to 9. For we know... That if the tent, that's what we have now, that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, naked, but that we would be further clothed, we would have a resurrected body, so that what is mortal, that's what we have now, may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So that whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Today's text is about eternal life. It's about life after this life. And if you've been on this planet for any length of time, you know that there are a number of competing philosophies as to what happens when this life is over. Let me share four philosophies, four that I do not embrace. And if you embrace one of these four philosophies, I'm very thankful that you're here, sincerely am, but I'm going to give us a biblical view after I share cursory these four philosophies. The first is that of atheism. It's the belief that when we die, we cease to exist we have no sense of consciousness. We have no future. Therefore, go for it now. Go for it with a gusto because this is all you have. In contrast, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment. That is, there's something to come. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet will he live. There is life eternal in heaven for a believer 
after this earthly life is over. A second grouping would be Eastern philosophy. It's unfair to group it because it's very wide and very broad. But I think in terms of reincarnation, the idea that when you die, you come back to earth in another form, in another place, in another body. And hopefully something that is elevated from where you are. But again, Hebrews says it is appointed for man to die once, not multiple times, and after that, the judgment. And so we go from atheism to reincarnation to a Christian version of what happens after this life, and that's soul sleep. I think it's a Christian version that is only looking at one passage, we know that interpreting Scripture, we call that hermeneutics, requires Scripture to interpret Scripture. If all we had was 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, I could see where you would come up with soul sleep. Because in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, it says that the trumpet of the angel, the dead in Christ, shall rise first. It's actually referring to our bodies, not our soul spirit, which is already with the Lord if our bodies are in the ground. Soul sleep believes that, hey, when you die, you remain in the ground, and when Jesus finally comes for you at the rapture, he will then take you to be with him. But in between, you are in a state of unconsciousness. But remember what Jesus said. When he was on the cross between two insurrectionists, and one of them believed in Jesus for salvation, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, verily or truly I say unto you, today, this day you will be with me in paradise. There was an immediacy that when you leave this earth, you go into the immediate presence of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, and so we have atheism and Eastern philosophy and soul sleep and purgatory. Purgatory is an extra biblical belief that when you die, you go to a place of suffering where you pay for your sins over a period of time until you have exhausted that payment and then you go to heaven. Purgatory is not mentioned or alluded to in the Bible. In fact, you may be surprised to know that it is a 12th century A.D. construction. It is a full 11 centuries after the New Testament that purgatory is being taught as something that the church embraces. You may also be surprised to realize that purgatory is an affront to the atonement of Christ. The atonement is the payment that Christ paid for us for our sin, his death for our sin, his resurrection for our life eternal. Purgatory teaches that the atonement of Christ is only sufficient to get a person to a place of suffering where one suffers for a long period of time in order to self-pay for one's sin 
in order to get to heaven. Now you may ask, how long is purgatory? It's an interesting question. In Europe, in the Middle Ages, those who spoke Spanish taught that the average person in purgatory was there for between two and 3,000 years. A Latin scholar, theologian in the middle centuries taught that no, it was on average 1,902,200 years. Now you guys are a little bit above average. So I'm figuring about one and a half million. Those in traditions, oh my, gonna be there a long, long time. I might have flipped that around a few moments ago when I was in traditions, <laughs> just possible. Modern theologians who believe in purgatory actually say the question is wrong because time is a human element and when we leave this earth, time is not something that one deals with. Be that as it may, purgatory is not taught in Scripture. So four philosophies, and then we look at the Word of God. And let's start in the Word of God with chapter 5, I want to read verses 1 and 2. For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So purgatory would teach condemnation. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, it says that when we have this earthly tent, when we are finished with it, we have a building from God. And Paul says, we know it. I love that. From time to time, I have the privilege of being with someone in the last moments of their life, in the last hours of their life, and during such times, I usually ask, hey, how are you doing? And we pray and we read scripture and maybe we sometimes sing. And I say, are you, are you confident? Do you have this assurance? Do you have this steadfast belief that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? And more often than not, they say, yes, I can't wait to go home. But occasionally someone will say, well, I hope. I'd like it to be, I think, Paul says, we know, we know that when this earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God not made with human hands. And so he begins with what we've got. We've got a tent. i got bad news for you. Tents leak, tents sag, tents deteriorate, tents break down. They just do. We have an entire industry in our world because these tents break down. We have liposuction. We have rhino work. We have things to help our sagging eyebrows and our sagging chins. We have all this medicine to help these earthly tents because they leak, they sag, they weaken, they break down. But we know that when this tent breaks down, we have a heavenly dwelling. We know that while we grow now and we have an entire industry, it's nurses, it's practitioners, it's doctors, it's technicians, we groan. When we stop groaning, 
We have a building from God. We have an eternal dwelling from God to go and spend with him. Now Paul's already talked to this group about this building. We need to remember that scripture is not in isolation. Scripture teaches scripture and and 2 Corinthians is written around 8055. I'm kind of confident of that. This was my doctoral dissertation. So if I got one thing right, it's a little bit on 2 Corinthians. In fact, I will tell you the truth. Since writing my doctorate, this is the first time I have preached on 2 Corinthians. Because when you spend several years of your life in one book, you might not want to go back to that book for a little while. So 2 Corinthians is written in A.D. 55. 1 Corinthians was written in A.D. 50. So he's already talked to them about this earthly building, this, this dwelling we have in heaven. Let me read to us from 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, what we have now, inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I always laugh at that verse in the church. Betty Ann and I restarted or planted in Texas. One of the gals cross-stitched this and hung it in the nursery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We were a biblical church, never lifting things out of context. Verse 52. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. About 10 days ago or so, I was in Naperville. Every other year, we have our National Evangelical Free Church Conference. So there were about 1,600 of us, and one of the preachers or speakers was speaking, and he made this comment. He said, death for the believer is so B.C. Where did he get that? Death is swallowed up in victory. Death may be the last enemy, but at the moment of death, the believer immediately ascends into the presence of God. So when we die, our soul spirit goes into the presence of God. Eventually that body catches up. But Paul's not finished with this teaching yet. Let me read verses 3 to 5 in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 3 to 5. He said, if indeed, by putting it on, that building in heaven, we may not be found naked. So he talks about this earthly tent. It's sagging, it's leaking, it's deteriorating. He talks about someday when we get to heaven, we will be given a building from God, a resurrected body. And then he talks about the intermediary state of nakedness. This is the part evangelicals sometimes forget. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. 
For while we are still in this tent, this body, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, that's not the best, but that we would be further clothed. That's a Greek word that means overclothed. So there's continuity and discontinuity with our present body. The Lord will reconfigure this present body into a resurrected body. Sometimes I'm asked, uh, what does that mean about cremation? It doesn't mean anything. If you're in the ground for a couple thousand years, you're already cremated. If you were lost at sea, you are already broken into pieces. The Lord that can put those bodies together can put any body together, so it's not a biblical issue. But that we would be further closed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so what we have writing under the inspiration of God, are three different segments that Paul wants us to see. We have this earthly tent. We're sagging, we're leaking, we're deteriorating. We have a resurrected body sometime in the future. And if we die before the Lord returns and resurrects this body and makes it into an imperishable, immortal body, in between our soul spirit without a body is in heaven. That's the state of nakedness. I think it goes like this. I'll give you a pre-trib, pre-millennial point of view. I think when you and I die, our soul spirit goes into the presence of the Lord. By the way, that's not soul and spirit, that's soul spirit. It is one word in the Old Testament, nephesh. It is one word in the New Testament, pneuma. It is not two words and two words. It's one. So if you're tripartite, that's fine. But you figure it out with one word, not with two. Which, by the way, is impossible to do, but that's another story. So your soul spirit goes into the presence of the Lord and then when Jesus returns, I think prior to the seven years of tribulation, prior to Revelation 6 to 18, when he comes and removes his church at the trumpet of the angel, the dead in Christ, the bodies shall rise so that what is mortal will be made immortal. What is perishable shall be raised imperishable. And then the seven years of great tribulation, then Christ returns and reigns physically, bodily, for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom. As I said a few weeks ago, and I said several times last summer, preaching through 1 Thessalonians, if you don't agree with me at the end times, I don't think it's a dividing issue. I don't. I just don't think it's a dividing issue. Now, I wouldn't understand why you wouldn't agree with that, but if you don't, and let's suppose you're a mid-trib or pre-wrath, Rosenthal created that in the 1990s, talk about a late doctrine, but pre-wrath is a mid-trib position, then you're going to be here for three and a half of the seven years of Revelation 6 to 18. You'll be here for three and a half years of the difficult times. If you're a post-trib, you're going to be here for all seven years. And while you're sitting here, I don't want you to think of me in heaven on my barca lounger. 
drinking from a Coke, having just finished off the heavenly links, shooting under par because it is in heaven. I don't want you to think about me at all. So what happens to deceased believers now? We immediately go to heaven. Our body remains here on earth. That's where we hear the phrase, from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. That's really a paraphrase of Genesis 3.19. For out of dust we were created, and from dust we shall return. As I think about this, I think of a well-worn story. I've never told it, but you've certainly heard it probably before. It's a little boy, and uh, he's kneeling behind or beside his bed with his mother, and they're praying, and his mother is just kind of going on and on. And so he uh, stops listening and starts looking around, looks up and looks down, and he looks all around the room, and when she's finally done, he says, Mama, is it true that we came from ashes and dust? And she says, Yes. And is it true that we are going back to ashes and dust? And she says, Yes. And he said, while you were praying, I peeked underneath the bed and someone's either coming or going. <laughs> I don't think that's probably the case, that dust bunny. But, but Paul does tell us that when we die, we will immediately go into the presence of the Lord. Now that sounds kind of awkward. We don't have a body. It doesn't sound like it's that great. But let me read verses 6 to 8 because Paul has a different opinion. He said, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Isn't that true? We're away from him physically. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's why Paul will write in Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think Paul is setting up good, better, best. Good is what we've got right now. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. It is not good for man to be alone, and I will make him a helper. Everything is good. Everything. And then we have the fall in Genesis 3 and the goodness is marred, but it's still good. We ought to be the most grateful people on the planet. We ought to be walking around telling people how good what God has created is. And we ought to be talking about the splendors of his great creation, Psalm 8 and Romans 1, and praising him and pointing people to him because this is good but it's not as good as it will get. And that's number two. That's when we die knowing Christ. Knowing Christ, our soul, spirit, goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. And we get more Christ. That's the, that's the promise of Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I think when we cite Revelation 21, 3 and 4, we emphasize verse 4 the emphasis is on verse 3. We emphasize that there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness. Those former things have passed away. The emphasis is on verse 3. More Christ. That's where the emphasis is. Let me read it to us. 
Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, more Christ. He will dwell with them, more Christ. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, more Christ, as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. From time to time, our church holds a going-home service for a believer in Christ. It should be a celebration. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Julie went home to be with the Lord. And I heard lots of wonderful testimonies. And here you have a, a gal, and we might say she went too young. Last week when I preached this message... I preached it in Weston, and I didn't know it. Her mom was there. And I actually talked about Julie. And her aunt was there. And they got a lot of copies. Because I talked about their daughter and their niece. And I made this statement. I said, you know, the testimonies were beautiful, but then you, you kind of heard one or two people say, I feel sorry for Julie. No! Never, not at all, never. And I don't get this. I'm a husband. I'm a father of four and with the son-in-law five. I got a grandbaby. I don't get how it's possible to leave this earth and it's all gain. I don't get that. But I take it by faith. I walk by faith, not by sight, verse 6. It's all gain. Time is an element here on earth. And so Julie somehow has all gain. She is all Christ. The tears are wiped away. There's no more mourning. None. None. We mourn for ourselves. We mourn for her mother, her husband, her aunt, her children, her grandchildren. Her friends, we don't mourn for her. It's all gain. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death is so BC for a follower of Christ. So BC. Life is good. Then we die and our soul spirit goes into the very presence of Almighty God. And then, when Jesus descends at the trumpet, sound of the angel, the dead, the bodies, are raised. And what is mortal is raised immortal. What is perishable is raised imperishable. And death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's been conquered by Christ. Utterly, completely conquered by Christ. And so when we face natural death, as believers in Christ, we do not fear because death has been swallowed up in victory. Our atheistic friends, they believe that this is all that we have 
no assurance and no hope. I, I pray that our atheistic friends would, would grow to have that assurance. Our Eastern philosophy friends, they believe in reincarnation and they're trying to earn their way to some kind of nirvana or heaven. But you can't earn your way there. None of us are good enough. Soul sleep, that probably doesn't affect your salvation, but it is missing a huge part of Scripture. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Today you will be with me in paradise. And purgatory is putting faith in oneself. And it's condemnation, and there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation if we know Christ. For now we walk in verses 7 and 9. We walk by faith and we make it our aim to please the Lord. That's where we are right now. We walk by faith and we make it our aim to please the Lord. How do we please the Lord? First, we need to know him as Savior. Don't leave today without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior by believing by faith that Jesus paid it all. He paid the penalty. He went to the cross. He died. He rose again. And he offers salvation to all who by faith believe him as Savior. And for those of us who know Christ, the tagline of our church is to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Always one more step. What do we need to confess? What do we need to turn from? What do we need to repent from? What do we need to move forward? And then connect, grow, go. We connect with other believers in fellowship. We grow in Christ. We grow in worship. We grow in prayer. We grow in devotion. We grow in this desire to advance the kingdom. And we go. We actually, empowered by God's Spirit, advance the kingdom for his glory. Well, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's so B.C. for a Christ follower. Death is the last enemy, but then we go immediately into the presence, if we know Christ, forever. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for First and Second Corinthians that teach us about so many topics. And in the fall, we'll be in First Corinthians to see what you have for us there. And, and today in Second Corinthians to be reminded that as believers in Christ, we have a future, a hope, an assurance, a guarantee. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To die is gain. And Father, if there's someone or someones here today that do not know Christ, I pray that by faith they would believe in Jesus, receive Jesus, give their life over to Jesus. And for we who have done that, help us to take the next step in our relationship with your Son. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.